The views and opinions of shows on KCNR are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only, and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of KCNR Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and you are tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell here on KCNR 96.5 FM, 1460 AM, your talk radio. Today we're going to be talking about something that, for some reason, this subject makes me smile, and everyone I keep talking to it about, everybody starts grinning. So it's it's a fun subject in a way, and it's a, a powerful subject in another way. We're going to be talking about the F-bomb. Okay, so I, I want to clarify a couple things. I, I can't say the F word to the F bomb because my producer who has his hand hovering over the delay dump button, which will erase the last seven seconds of the show if I happen to say a bad word, uh, he's just like waiting because it, how easy would it be to drop the F bomb when you're trying not to say the F bomb because it's part of what we're talking about. So I'm going to try hard. Not to say the F-bomb. But if all of a sudden you hear seven seconds of silence, it's because I slipped. So, um, and the reason I want to talk about the F-bomb is, I've got to clarify this. It's not for religious reasons. It's not that I'm a prude. I can swear with the best of them. Uh, My dad was a Navy commander. My daughter was in the Navy. In fact, when she came home from the Navy, she dropped the F-bomb so much in every single sentence that she said that her father and I finally said, that's enough. We can't handle it anymore. You've got to stop using it every two words. And she went, what? Because believe me, in the military, the F-bomb is a major part of the vocabulary. So I want to talk about it because it is a phenomenon that I see in people that I see in therapy. They say the F-bomb When they don't want to stand in their truth, they don't want to say how they're feeling. They hide behind the swear word. So I want I want us to take a good look at the whole idea of what is the F bomb about and why sometimes it's therapeutically sound for you not to be dropping the F bomb all the time. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when swearing becomes a real part of your vocabulary? Like, let's look at the idea that do you want to be the one who teaches your three-year-old the F-bomb? Like, I don't particularly want my grandkids to learn it at my house just because it would be really embarrassing for their parents to say, where did you learn that? Grandma said it. <laughs> That'd be horrible. I'd feel terrible. But I have to tell you a cute story. My three-year-old grandson said to me one day, we were playing with Play-Doh. And he gets real quiet, and he goes, Grandma, if I say a bad word, you have to put me in timeout. I said, okay, um, but what's a bad word? He gets real quiet, and he goes, okay, I'm going to tell you, but then I can never say them again. I said, okay. So he says, stupid, kill, shoot, poop, and boobs. And I thank heavens I have a good poker face. I didn't even smirk. And I went, okay. And he goes, but I don't need a timeout right now. I said, okay. So later when I'm telling his, my daughter and her husband, 
what their son did and what words he came up with. My son-in-law said, oh, thank heavens those were the words he came up with. Because I think they thought the list was going to be different. So, you know, it's an issue when we swear around children that we're teaching them they can do that. And the other message we're giving them is if you're dropping the F-bomb in your house all the time and then your kid starts to say it, do they get in trouble? Huh. Think about that. Are we trying to teach them that there are things that adults can do that kids can't do? Adults can drink, smoke, and swear, but if kids do it, they get in trouble. Okay, so there's a certain merit to that, that adults have privileges that children don't. But we're also setting those things up to be mysterious and wonderful and something that they get to do. So think about that. It's just part of what we're dealing with when we're talking about the whole issue of swearing. So why do we swear? What's the whole purpose in what we're doing? Are we trying to say how we feel? Are we trying to make a point? Are we um, trying to be emphatic with what's happening? So it's, it's interesting to look at the whole idea of it to figure out why we do what we do and what's the purpose of it. Because swearing can be a number of different things. Swearing can be abusive where we are saying to a person, you are that thing. You are a F-bomb, including the F-bomb with other adjectives like mother and their parents and things like that. So the F-bomb becomes an adjective to explain why they're bad. So that can be all the way from joking around that little F-bomb to you're such a big F-bomb. So it can be all the way from endearing and funny to abusive when we describe somebody by an expletive, all right? It can be emphatic. We're trying to emphasize that that thing that we're swearing about is so effing important that we are effed up without it, okay? I mean, I've seen people use the F-bomb as an an adjective, a noun, an adverb, um a verb, it's, like it's everything in the whole gamut of grammar. Okay, the other thing it can be is idiomatic. Idiomatic means it's cool. It's part of the language. We're fitting in. And, and I can understand that because every once in a while in a therapy session, I'll drop the F-bomb partly because I'm fitting in with the language of the person in front of me. There is a joining that happens when you use similar language to the person in front of you. So I will purposely do that. And it's not foreign to me because I can swear with the best of them sometimes. So I will allow that to happen when it's somebody that that's a part of their wording and their culture and their head. The other thing that has been proven about swearing is it can be cathartic. There is what's called a lolochesium, and lolochesium speaks to the adrenaline that's released in the brain when we swear, especially when we swear in response to pain. There was a study that was done with college students where they had college students stick their hands in a tub of ice water, and there was a a control group that was allowed to swear, say whatever they wanted, and there was a non-control group that had to say 
non-swear words. Like they said, had to say, oh, applesauce or something that was very, you know, benign. And what they found was the group that was allowed to swear was able to keep their hands in the water about twice as long as a group that was not allowed to swear. They withstood the pain better when they were able to get kind of jacked up, say swear words, and increase that adrenaline in their brain. That was the theory of why it happened. So that has been that phenomenon has been said in culture a lot, that when we swear, when we're in pain, we're actually helping to control the pain. And anyone that's ever kicked their toe on the furniture going to the bathroom in the middle of the night knows exactly what I'm talking about. So um, it's what happens. The other thing is swear words tend to follow the culture. And uh, derogatory comments that we make for people tend to evolve over time and change. Um, so, it, like, for example, in teenagers now, they will use things they're afraid of to be an insult. For example, calling someone schizo or mental or calling them autistic or Aspie. Um, or depressed, those are things that they'll call somebody to be derogatory toward them because those are things that as a society people are afraid of these days. They're afraid of death and dying and mental illness and sickness. So we have to understand where swearing comes from and what it does for us and why we tend to use it. So my point about it is that it tends to be overused and we tend to hide behind it. So we're going to go to break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about the therapeutic issues of hiding behind the F-bomb. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. It's so interesting to listen to beautiful cello music of Stacy Stacy Nickel Miller. There we go, Stacy Nickel Miller, and Randy McGinnis, Native American flutist. When we're talking about the f bomb, I mean that's, that's kind of funny, but it's beautiful Native American flute music. They're playing on the album Smoky Mountain Dreams, and a CD that my mom listened to. Every single night, trying to go to sleep, never heard the second half of it because she was always asleep by the about the third song. Anyway, thank you, Randy McGinnis, for allowing us to listen to your beautiful music and use it on our show. You can go to randymcginnis.com and check out all six of his CDs. They're incredibly beautiful and wonderful. The one called Amahi, the water place, it's Amahi in Cherokee, um, is exactly 60 minutes long. So it's an awesome CD for massage therapists and yoga classes and things like that. Just beautiful. And that's flute only, nothing else. So it's a wonderful music for that. Okay, we're talking about the F-bomb. And the reason we're talking about it is not because we're being prudish or we're saying you can't swear or, you know, we're trying to control your language. It's not that. It's from a therapeutic standpoint, I see people hide behind the F-bomb. And I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a person that I've dealt with, and I've done this with a lot of clients, but I'm thinking of one in particular, and he got grounded from the F-bomb because he was using it as a shield, and it was a shield to separate himself from 
his wife, from people, to put people at a distance. Almost like, you know, you picture a dog growling in the corner that's saying, get away from me, um, with their growl and their bark and their snap. That swearing at somebody or dropping the F-bomb at them on a regular basis can also act like the same kind of shield that says, back up, leave me alone. It also was a shield for him, for his emotions, because when he dropped the F-bomb, he didn't have to feel whatever it was he was feeling. And it turns out, you know, he's a pretty vulnerable person, pretty uh, sensitive and caring, very intuitive and um, empathetic with people. And so being kind of curt and angry and, you know, just saying, oh, F that and that effer and I, I, that bugs the F out of me and things like that, he was not having to say how he really felt. So one day in therapy, he had told me a whole story. And, of course, the F-bomb was in it like every three words or four words. <laughs> and I just was listening to it. And I said to him, tell me that whole thing without using the F-word. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, you know, it doesn't offend me. I'm not talking about being offended. I want you to do that for a different reason. Tell me that whole story and tell me how you felt. Tell me it with real words. Don't keep substituting the F-bomb for it. So he got kind of quiet, and he told me the thing again. And then he felt all the emotion behind the anger, the disappointment, the frustration, um, the fears that he had. And he got kind of quiet, and he said, yeah, I get it. I don't have to feel things when I just get angry at him and drop the F-bomb. And I said, yeah. So... What I'm asking you is, as a man, and um, a military man, kind of, you know, first responder, military, uh, very much a man's man, not soft, I guess is the word that people might say. I said, are you capable and are you willing to be vulnerable? Can you put down your shield that's trying to ward off everybody else's arrows coming at you? And can you open up your heart, speak your truth, say exactly what you say and need to say exactly what you feel without hiding behind your F-bomb shield? And he said, wow, you know, he, he really stepped into it and thought about it. And he said, that's not easy. And I said, yeah, it's not easy. But we're talking about how developed are you as a man, as a person, as a communicator, when you say, that effing pisses me off and it's so effed up and I can't believe he, what the F was he doing? You've said a whole lot, but you have not really explained how you feel except for that you're pissed off. So when you take the time to say, that really disappoints me and it frustrates me and it, it makes me worried for this and I'm concerned that that might happen, and I would like people to be aware that they need to guard against blah, blah, blah. Then you're actually stepping up your communication and communicating with people instead of F-bombing at them. So we agreed that he is grounded from the F-bomb right now, which is going to make him have to choose other words. And then... At our next session that we talk, when we talk, I'm going to want to know 
how he felt about that. And it isn't like, you know, that old therapy thing. How did you feel? No, I'm not talking about that. Do you see a difference in your communication with your wife? Do you feel more connected to others? How was it feeling vulnerable when you had to actually feel your feelings of anger, disappointment, uh, fear? How did you deal with that? And what did you do? What I'm looking for is to take him from being kind of rigid and stuck in this barrel wrapped around the F-bomb where that is his safety thing. And then when he does come out of it, pull out his F-bomb shield so that nobody can get close to him. I want to know how it feels to be vulnerable and naked in the world with just who you are. And what was really, really cool is he totally got what I was saying. And he was brave enough to say, yeah, I need to try this on. Because his whole goal in being in therapy is to reduce his own personal anxiety, to be closer to others, to communicate better, to be a good model for his children and grandchildren. And he's doing that by working on himself. So you can see from a therapeutic aspect, cussing and swearing instead of communicating can actually harm your relationships, diminish your intimacy with people, push people away, and not really state how you feel. You're hiding. So think about it. Something happens and you go, F that. Well, what do you really feel? Is it, I don't like that. That makes me worried for my friends, for my, for our country, for Pick whatever it is you're worried about. You might have to communicate. You might have to say how you really feel. So in that connection, in that intimacy and vulnerability, you find yourself closer to people, and especially closer to the people you want to be close to. Okay. Um, Before we finish this section, I want to talk a little bit about how swearing is different wherever you go. It's it's different culturally in different um, communities, different ethnic groups, um, different age groups, like uh, teenagers. Like, for example, I'm talking to my 14-year-old granddaughter this morning, tried to get her to be on the show with me, and she said, no. Of course, she said, no. She's 14. But I said, talk to me about swearing. She goes, people just do it. And I said, do you swear? And she goes, yeah. And I said, okay, now answer me this. Do you swear around your mom? She goes, no. I said, why not? She said, well, I'll get in trouble. I said, so you can control it? She goes, yeah, I can control it. And I said, do you swear around your teachers? And she goes, oh, no, no. Well, what would happen if you swore around your teachers? Well, you'd probably get sent up to the office or you'd at least get yelled at or they might take it a little bit if you just slipped and then you apologize, but mostly it's a real taboo. And I said, right. So you instinctively know where you can swear and where you can't swear. So where can you swear? She goes, with my friends. I said, okay, can you swear with your grandmother? And she goes, no, not really. (laughs) I said, correct, because what will I do? And she said, you'll say, Allison, and and I'll get in trouble. And I'll say, yeah. Will you get in more trouble than if you were five? And she goes, no, probably less trouble than if I was five. And I said, why? And she said, well, because you're trying to teach a five-year-old when they can swear and when they can't. And then they need to know they can't swear at all. And I said, right, it's complicated, isn't it? She said, yes. But what she was telling me is how she felt like if she didn't swear around her friends, then she wouldn't be cool. 
She wouldn't be accepted. She'd look like a goody two-shoes. She didn't want to look lame. I think that was the word she used. And so swearing around her friends became a joiner. I'm like you. We are the same. I don't have to stress that you're going to think something's wrong with me because I'm not acting like you act. So it's like that in countries, too. Um, Russia is the country that supposedly swears the most, um, according to research. They actually have almost a language for it. It's called mat. So in Russian, there's mat speaking, which is, I guess, extremely verbal swearing. Um, We'll have to ask someone who really speaks Russian about that. And then the, the country that least swears, and this makes total sense to me, is the Vatican. There's, like, I think it's really taboo to say any kind of swear word in the Vatican. But in the United States, the Midwest is where there's the least amount of swearing. It's just not as culturally accepted. People swear in text. In fact, in what I heard was the most swearing place at all is Instagram and Twitter. People drop the F-bomb like something like every, I think it's like a million times every 22 seconds or something like this, a huge number. You know how when people write a swear word and they put all those little symbols like a dollar sign and a pound sign and all that in the middle of the word, like they'll write F, dollar sign, pound sign, exclamation point, K, and you're not, you know, you didn't actually write out the F-bomb. Those things are called growlixes. Growlixes, if I'm pronouncing that right. They're the symbols used to hide a bad word. You got a growlix. I thought that was funny. I never heard that before. All right, so... Hiding behind your shield of the F-bomb is what we're talking about. It's therapeutically undeveloped. So with my my client that I was talking about, his job is to learn how to talk without swearing. And then later, once he knows he can do that, and he sees the difference between the intimacy and the connection of people when he actually uses real words and not just swear words, then he can decide where he wants to use the F-bomb. I'm not telling him he can or can't use it. Just right now, he's grounded from it. All right, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the F-bomb some more. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is a perfect song because today is the first day of spring. It's March 21st, 2021, and the first day of spring, which is such a beautiful day. And this is Lucy Carlson, the violinist on Randy McGinnis's CD, Walking with the Spirits. Um, Native American flutes on this too. And he plays with Lucy and it's just a beautiful combination. This song is called Springtime in the Meadow. So we're talking about the F-bomb and hiding behind it is a shield. So one of the things we really have to look at is why do we swear? So I was talking about Uh, my 14-year-old granddaughter, Allie, and that she said kids swear to fit in, they swear to be cool. Um, They often don't know other words to say about how they feel about things because they've gotten so used to just saying that's effing bad, things like that. So we have to ask ourselves for our personal belief, not as a society, why do people swear, or why they should or they shouldn't use cuss words. Why do we swear? What is the point that we're doing when we drop the F-bomb? Are we um, say something bad 
that we know is a word that either offends people or is blasphemous or uh, we've been taught that when we're little we get in trouble for. Why do we swear? And you have to answer that question. What's your purpose? Are you trying to push people away? Are you trying to fit in? Are you trying to express your opinion in an emphatic sort of way where you've made your point in a huge manner? What is the reason that you swear? Because a whole lot of what I see in my office is people swear by habit. They're used to dropping the F-bomb all the time. And they don't really know how to not drop the F-bomb. So they often tend to overuse it. And they don't want to explain themselves more clearly. And they just use that F-bomb in there to say whatever it is they're feeling. Mark Twain talked about swearing. And he, Mark Twain actually liked to swear. I researched Mark Twain a lot, and I, I love the things he says. He's so insightful. But he did a whole thing on profanity. And he said profanity sometimes is better as a better release for what you're feeling than prayer. And I thought that was funny. It, he said sometimes you just have to use profanity to express how you feel. And he told a story about when he was first married, for the first 10 years of his marriage, whenever he felt the need to let out a string of expletives, he would walk out into the field and then start swearing. Because he didn't want to offend his wife, whom he loved and adored. He did not want to ruin his marriage, and he didn't want to lose her respect or be seen as inappropriate. So he'd walk outside and let out his swearing, and then he'd come back. And he said he was proud of himself that he was actually able to do that for about 10 years. I don't know what happened after 10 years. <laughs> he'd stop doing that or not. But he talks about how swearing can be sometimes what you need to do to explain yourself. Okay, and my point is, we can do that if we, know, if we know how to communicate in a healthier, better way. And if you're able to be in a business meeting and not drop the F-bomb, if you can go have a, a meeting with your, te- your kid's teacher, um, if you can talk to your boss or your minister or your mother-in-law, pick somebody. If you are able to have a civil conversation without dropping the F-bomb, then you have the capacity to not do that. Okay, so there are people that can't control whether they drop the F-bomb. Often it's kind of a part of Tourette's, and they will say words that they know they shouldn't say because there's an impetus inside of them that says, I have to get this out, I have to say it. It almost overpowers them to do it. But that's very few people out there. Most of us have the capacity to not swear in situations where we know it would be horrid and we would lose respect, we would look like idiots, we'd look uneducated or low class or disrespectful to the situation. So we do have the capacity to close our mouths and say something different. So if you have that capacity and if you do exercise self-control, ask yourself, why do I let it go? And why do we tend to drop the F-bomb toward people or in front of people that we truly love and trust? Is it a joining thing that we're doing? Because 
that whole idiomatic thing of we want to say what someone else is saying so that we join, is that what we're doing? Or are we not afraid of disrespect, losing people's respect, being thought less of, being rejected and abandoned by the people we love the most? So let's look at that for a second. How fair is it that you might call someone you love the most an effing bee, and they're not supposed to leave you or lose respect for you? Where are the boundaries within you? Where are the boundaries in your relationship? I mean, I've had people come into my office that are just hugely crushed. They'll say, he started calling me an effing B or effing C, some of those horrible words. And they're crushed. And it's a boundary that's been broken, and it feels severely abusive to someone. I've, and it's not just women. I've had men come in and say, she calls me an effing, the horrible words, okay, and she feels free to call me that and justified, and it really hurts my feelings because I, I grew up knowing that if you called somebody names like that, you hated them, and you didn't do that jokingly, and it meant that things were really, really bad. So what did you learn growing up? What are your social standards? What do people that you hang out with, your culture, your group of people, what do they do? And do you know when you can get by with dropping an F-bomb and when you can't? And then you have to watch out for habit energy. If you're hanging out with the guys at work, you know, picture a whole bunch of construction workers or first responders or military guys or something like that, and you're a bunch of whole lot of men that drop the F-bomb every two seconds, and you come home, how easy is it for you to drop the F-bomb in front of your grandmother or your mother-in-law or your wife? And this, a long time ago, it used to be mostly men that swore because women were thought to be classless and vulgar if women swore. But now I'll tell you, women can swear with the best of them. In my office, I hear the F-bomb a lot. And I would say a lot of women do it. So this isn't judgment about, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, what religion you are, how old you are. This is an issue that goes across all those boundaries. And my point today is that I want you to look at how do you handle swearing in your life? And are you hiding behind the shield of, I don't want to feel that, I don't want to be vulnerable enough to tell you how I really feel, and I want to feel like I'm joining in with the other first responders, the other military guys, the other construction workers, the other people in my office, the other peers, age group peers. And do you need that to join in? I I remember many, many years ago when I met Randy McGinnis, I was at a flute conference when we were doing Native American flute and drumming and all that. And I noticed that he never said a swear word. And so one day I said to him, I've never heard you swear. And he said, yeah, I, I don't swear much. And I said, what, do you have a reason why you don't swear? And he said, it's just unnecessary. He's, he's a very calm person. He's one of the calmest people I've ever known. But he said, it's just unnecessary. There are so many other ways to express yourself without resorting to that. And so he did it quietly, like it wasn't a 
He wasn't judging people. He wasn't passing some kind of edict around those around him. He just felt it was unnecessary and didn't do it. And I thought that was just profoundly wise because it made me stop to think, made me think about me because I probably swore too much. And I thought, you know, he's right. It, It is just unnecessary. So if you don't even think about it as good or bad, right or wrong, I I don't get to do it or I'm grounded from it, which which you might have to do. If you say there are many, many other words in our language that you don't have to say a bad word. You don't have to swear. You don't have to resort to more vulgar language. So then the issue becomes, can you do that? Are you capable? And it's kind of fun to find out. I remember when I was, I think it was in like my first or second year of college. And for some reason, I decided I was swearing too much. I probably swore in front of my southern mama. That that did not go over well. First time I remember getting in trouble for swearing. I was laying on the bed with my sister and my brother. And my sister shoved me off the bed and I fell on the floor. And I remember saying the S word. And I hear from the other room. Patricia Lee Young, get in here. And I'm like, oh, no. So I go in there to my southern mama, and you didn't swear in front of her. She made me wash my mouth out with soap. It was the last time she ever heard me swear, which was cool. I, I was able to control that. But later in college, I figured out I'm swearing too much. So what I did is this thing that is known as word substitution. I just did it because it felt good to me to do it. Instead of swearing, I'd say, oh, piglets, which people laughed at, which I didn't care if they laughed at it. I kind of did it to be funny. But if you pick other words that you can do to substitute for it, okay, that's a step in the right direction. But you still need, instead of, you know, oh, schnarkies or oh, um, William Shatner is what I heard. Oh, William Shatner. (laughs) You can pick a word that is your substitute for a swear word, but are you still not allowing yourself to learn to communicate because you're hiding behind a word that does not really make you vulnerable to express how you feel? All right, going to go to break. When we come back, I'm going to give you a way to work on this. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. So we're talking about hiding behind the F-bomb. And let's let's make sure we generalize that to any kind of swear word. Although that's a swear word we tend to hear the most these days. I mean, people will say the D word. I don't, I don't know if I can get beep for that one, but I better not say it. Or the S word. Um, and they say that a lot. But I think the F-bomb is like the overall grand champion of swear words that people drop. So we're talking about, do you overuse swear words? And, you know, when you're in my office and and you've said the F-bomb five times in one sentence, or I get so distracted by the F-bomb coming out of your mouth, then it's a therapeutic issue. I had one guy that he just couldn't talk without the F-bomb. So I, I counted, I looked at the clock, and for three minutes I counted his F-bombs. 68 F-bombs in three minutes, as he told me this story, because he put it everywhere. And when I stopped him and I said, I want you to hear this. I want you to see what I'm talking about. 
He said, yeah, I get complaints from everybody about that. And I said, okay, why haven't you changed it? So that's what we're talking about. If you're nodding your head going, yeah, I swear way too much. And, oh, yeah, I dropped the F-bomb. And, boy, I did drop the F-bomb in front of my fill-in-the-blank person I never should swear in front of. I probably need to work on this. And now turn over and look at your spouse or your most your best friend. And if they're shaking their head and pointing their finger at you going, yes, you need to work on this, <laughs> believe them. Okay? Because you've probably gotten in such a habit that dropping the F-bomb is second nature to you and you have no intention of changing it and you feel entitled to do that anytime you want, which I am not taking away from you. I couldn't take it away from you if I wanted, but I'm not. I'm asking you to take a good hard look at yourself and say, am I capable of communicating with more clarity, more appropriateness, more uh, thoughtfulness, more vulnerability? Can I be vulnerable enough to say, that scares me when I see that. That is frustrating. That when you talk to me like that, it really hurts. Um, I'm confused. I have a, a feeling sheet in my book, Therapy in a Nutshell. There's it's a, the whole feeling sheet's typed out. But I often hand it to clients. It's a two-sided sheet of paper and has several hundred words on it that are feeling words. So sometimes when somebody just wants to F-bomb the heck out of something and tell me how they feel, I'll hand them a feeling sheet and I'll say, pick out 10 words, pick out 50 words of how you feel about that situation. And it blows their mind to see that they feel more than just angry or frustrated. It gives you a vocabulary for speaking without swearing. So the challenge for you is can you, do you want to, why do you want to? Would you respect yourself more? Would you be happier? Would your spouse be happier? Would your, you not be wearing your three-year-old's going to go to preschool and drop the F-bomb? Um, what are your motivations for learning how not to swear all the time? So one of the things you have to be able to do is stand in your truth. I have a whole podcast on stand in your truth. Go to um, Spotify, Pandora, Anchor app, uh, anywhere podcasts are, any podcast form, and type in Dr. Patricia Bay, Therapy in a Nutshell. And my podcast with over 100 episodes will come up. And there's one of them called Stand in Your Truth. How do you know what you're feeling, first off? And then how do you express your truth with vulnerability, with a solid state in your ego? Because one of the things that happens for someone who swears a lot is they probably feel diminished. Their ego strength is weak. They are trying to look bigger or smarter or less approachable because that's the way they know how to be the snarling dog in the corner and growl and bark and snap and push you away. So could you stand in your truth? Do you know how you feel about a situation that you're starting to say, F that and... He was an effing idiot, and she's an effing bee. And what if you had to use your words? Do you have words is what I'm asking you. Do you know what your truth is about a given situation? And could you express yourself more eloquently? Because once you figure that out and you know how to do it, then if you want to use a little bit of the F-bomb in your conversation, that's certainly up to you culturally, appropriately, um, not insulting, not being abusive, using it where you see fit. But you're in control of it. So in other words, you're driving the car that has the F-bomb strapped into the back seat, 
not the F-bombs driving the car and you're bouncing around in the third state with no control and not seat-belted in. So we want that metaphor. I'm in control of when I choose to drop the F-bomb or not, and I err on the side of being appropriate, respectful, classy. So if you're looking at this going, yeah, I, I probably should look at this a little more. The next thing you have to look at is how vulnerable do I allow myself to be? Can a man say that makes me upset? You don't have to necessarily go, that hurts my feelings. I mean, women are allowed to say that, but men often are criticized or judged for that. But if you can say, I really don't like that, or that makes me worry, or that's very frustrating, or that makes me fear that this could happen, um, can you use those kind of words? Or is all of a sudden you're feeling like, oh, no. You don't go to the fire department and use those words. You'll get laughed out of the house. You don't say that at a construction site because now all of a sudden you are another expletive. starts with a P. So you tend to know where it's dangerous for you to act like you can communicate because sometimes that is seen as weakness, especially with men. So... Do you know what your truth is? Can you stand in your truth? And can you do it without dropping the F-bomb as a noun, a verb, an adjective, everything else? Even an adverb. So, can you? And should you? And that's a question you can only answer for yourself. When I challenged my client to stop dropping the F-bomb every couple words, he immediately said, you're absolutely right. I need to do that. And I said, why do you need to do that? And he said, first he said, well, I don't know. It's just inappropriate. And I said, let's look at for you specifically, hiding behind your shield so that nobody can get to you and you can remain distanced by always seeming angry by dropping the F-bomb. So he embraced it as a way to evolve and grow and become more, not less, more. And he was he was joking around about it. He's really kind of looking forward to pushing himself to not do it. Now, here's how that exercise works that I give to clients. I might say, you're grounded from the F-bomb. They usually laugh. And I say, you know, I'm not telling you what to do, but I want you to look at this self-growth piece of learning how not to swear. What can you say instead? And so they we talk about some ideas of, you know, sometimes words... Um, a substitution like, oh, shnikes. Okay. But can you even go beyond that? And the interesting factor of this is when you allow yourself to be vulnerable and speak what you really feel, you might feel it more yourself as well. So you have to be ready for that feeling of emotion when you're standing in your truth. Are you brave enough? Is your ego strong enough? to handle being totally truthful instead of escaping into a swear word. That is the therapeutic issue here. How strong are you? How centered are you? How intelligent are you that you have a vocabulary of words that express how you feel without it being the effing this and the effing that? It's important for you to be able to say, who am I and how developed am I? So first off, you're doing this for no one else but yourself. 
when you've caught yourself slipping and dropping the F-bomb, what I say to my clients is you don't just apologize and go, oh, pardon my French, or I did, oh, I, said, I slipped, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. No, you have to go back and said, say what you said without the F-bomb. So check this out. Something in politics or work or uh, pick something, your wife, your husband, makes you mad and you go, oh, I'm so effing mad. He's such an effing blah, blah, blah. And I, I can't believe what the F. Okay. So you'd have to go back and say that whole thing without the F-bomb. So let's hear what that might sound like. Really frustrated and angry at my husband right now. He's done some things that really hurt my feelings because he's promised stuff and he hasn't followed through. I've talked to him about it and I'm frustrated and I'm angry and I'm annoyed. And I feel a little bit let down because he's made some promises that he hasn't kept. And I don't want to be the bee who keeps nagging at him. I want him to care like I care. Very different than he's an effing bee who, what the F, what does the F he think he's doing, and oh my, fill in the next with this. So get the difference. One makes you actually have to state how you feel, and one makes you explain yourself and tell your truth, and the other one lets you hide. Because when somebody calls you an effing B or what the F, or it, it's so effing ridiculous, do you really know how they feel? All you know is they're mad, right? Which is the shield. I hide behind my shield of anger and frustration, and all I do is paint my shield with F-bomb so that when you hear me doing that, you instinctively know I'm hiding and you will leave me alone. Because if they don't leave you alone, then you're going to say something like, I'm effing out of here, right? <laughs> so it's, a, it's an eye-opener. It's a call to consciousness that your life is peppered with inappropriate swear words at inappropriate times, dotted with habit energy of how you use it so often. And do you want that is what I'm asking you. So one of the metaphors that you can think of with cursing, swearing, profanity, pick a word for it, is you can use, once you get grounded from it, you know you can be vulnerable and you can communicate without it. You might find you like that better, by the way. But if you want to put a few expletives in your conversation for emphasis to really show how angry you are at something or to really express yourself in a definitive manner, then you need to use it like you would garlic or salt in a recipe. You overpower your recipe with garlic or salt and you will ruin the dish. You'll ruin it. If you use expletives in the same way, little pinch of this, little pinch of that, and don't keep over-pinching stuff in there, then it becomes a powerful word in your vocabulary to express how you feel. All right. So this is Dr. Patty. You've been listening to Therapy in a Nutshell, where we've been talking about the F-bomb. And in Therapy in a Nutshell, I just want to help heal the world one hour at a time. The news from Town Hall is brought to you on KCNR Shasta Reading by Shasta Regional Medical Center. Your life, your health, your choice. Shasta Regional Medical Center.